Take your Bibles today, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to be reading in verse number one. It's great to see you this morning. Great to be here on a nice warm summer in Florida. How many of you are glad you live in Florida? All right. My sister is visiting. Um, she's right over here to my right. She is from Maryland. She's not, she works in Maryland, but um, I don't know how the weather is up there. But uh, I'm certainly glad I live in Florida this time of year. And uh, it's good to have her here with us today. Turn your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 15, verse number 1. We are continuing the life of Christ, and we have before us three parables. We'll be focusing our attention today on two of them. Luke chapter 15, verse number 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is God's word. I'll be talking today, this morning, about the subject, Lost and Found. When I was, uh, I couldn't have been more than five or six years old, I was shopping with my mom in Target. And I don't remember exactly how, again, how old I was, but I remember, as most four, five, six-year-olds are wont to do, I was playing a game of hiding behind the clothes racks at Target while my mom was shopping for them at the same time. And mothers, you know that your children are always fooling around in the store trying to get themselves into trouble while you're shopping. And so my mom kept telling me, Aaron, stop, stop messing around. Stop going in and out of the clothing racks. You're going to mess something up. You're going to get lost. Did little Aaron listen? No, he didn't. <laughs> he kept walking around. I kept walking around, playing around and hiding in the clothes racks, playing whatever game I had in my five or six-year-old mind and I popped out of one of the clothing racks only to discover that my mom was not there. I was lost. Those of you that have been lost know or can remember if you've been in something like that, the panic that sets in. You start running around. You start looking at, what, maybe she's over in this section. Maybe if I, if I shout her name loud enough, she'll hear me and she'll come looking for me. And so I did. I started yelling, Mommy, I'm, I'm over here. Where are you? And after what seemed like an eternity, 
I ran around the corner, and there my mom was looking right at me. And she wasn't crying. She wasn't frantically looking for me. She pointed at me and said, see, that's what happens whenever you don't obey me. <laughs> that traumatizing childhood experience has turned me into the jaded human that you see before you today. <laughs> I'm sure my mom is watching, and so, mommy, if you see this, uh, I love you, but uh, that was not fun. <laughs> did I learn my lesson? Well, yes, yes, I did. All of us have experienced this feeling of being lost at some point or another. Some of us have experienced being the seeker. The one, you're the one that lost your child and you're looking for them and you realize when you really can't find them, that panic that sets in. And that feeling of, I've got to find my little child before something happens to them. The Pharisees come to Jesus again, as they always do, and they see Jesus eating with some tax collectors and sinners. And they complain about the crowd that Jesus is hanging around with. Jesus is undaunted, and he presents to them three parables. These three parables are what we can deduce about the heart of God is that God cares about lost people. Amen. He presents parable number one about the lost sheep. Number two parable is about the lost coin. And the third parable, which we will save till next week, is about the lost son. I want you to notice with me, the first thing that we see in the story is the audacious complaint of the Pharisees. Jesus was an attractive person. Why was that? Maybe it was his nice clothes. Maybe it was his economic status or where he went to school. Or perhaps it was the job that he had that made people so attracted to Jesus. Maybe it was because of the things that he had, of the position that he held, the audience, the ear that he had in the realm of politics. No, it wasn't any of those things. I submit to you today that people were attracted to him because of how he treated them. Don't you think that these tax collectors and sinners had already been through all the nice things? They had already been looking for happiness in all of the wrong places. They had looked for happiness in relationships and in possessions and in wealth and prosperity and status. I think so. No, these people were attracted because of the message that he preached. This rabbi, this odd carpenter from Nazareth, he had a message that all the other rabbis did not have. Rather, he, he did not preach a gospel of law-keeping and legalism and finding favor with God through the things that you do. No, he preached the gospel of helping others, loving God through your faith. Not the things that you do, although those things matter, but Jesus preached something differently. He did not condemn the people that he preached to. He asked for their, for, he asked for their repentance. He preaches forgiveness of their sins and serving others and seeking the lost. I wonder this morning, church, are lost people attracted to us? Jesus was attractive, but he also displayed some unorthodox behavior. 
While sometimes we find Jesus meeting with uh, some higher uh, class people, people like Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, we see people meeting with uh, the religious elite, like Simon the Pharisee, he went and had dinner with Simon one day, the Gospels tell us. But most often we find people that are with Jesus to be people of no reputation. They are just your average, ordinary citizens. And all too often we find in the Gospels that Jesus is not just fellowshipping with ordinary people. He is fellowshipping with people that nobody else would want to have anything to do with. Look at it, we see... We see the woman at the well. We see this situation. Uh, we see the woman a couple weeks ago caught in adultery. We see a Roman centurion at some point running to Jesus and asking him for his help. The Jews hated the Romans. Uh, we see in his very apostles, the disciple Matthew and the disciple Simon the Zealot. For those of you that are not familiar with these two disciples, uh, Matthew had been a tax collector before this point until Jesus called him. Matthew was Levi, the tax collector. Tax collectors were part of the Roman government. They were part of the government that the zealots were trying to overthrow. We see Simon the zealot in the same group of people as Matthew. Jesus called both Simon and Matthew to be his apostles. Simon and Matthew, there could have not been any two people more on the opposite sides of the political spectrum than these two guys. You have you have Matthew, who has basically sold his soul to the Roman government, meeting out taxes to his fellow countrymen, being viewed of as a traitor by most people that knew him, being disowned by all people, but perhaps his family. Maybe his family even wanted to have nothing to do with him as well. And you have Simon the, Simon the Zealot, the guy on the opposite side of this, at the end of the spectrum. And he is... The person, he's, he's part of a faction known as the Zealots who are trying to overthrow the Roman government, whether it be it through assassination attempts, uh, through some civil uprisings, uh, through protests and secret uh, missions. Simon would have been part of all of it. And yet you see Simon and Matthew in the same group. This was unorthodox. What else was unorthodox about Jesus? He was hanging out with the same kinds of people. He was with the tax collectors. And what the Bible tells us are sinners. I looked, up, um, I looked up this definition of the word sinners on Google and, and uh, other commentaries and things, and I couldn't find a meaning, an exact meaning for this word sinners. And I, I can only conclude that sinners just means people like me, people like you, the people that are sitting in this room right now. Yes, Jesus would have hung out with you. This was unorthodox. This is, this is not something that the Pharisees would have been uh, known to do. No, Pharisees would have been up in the uh, upper rooms. They would have been the upper chambers at the feasts. They would have been uh, looking to establish their own higher economic and social and religious status amongst the people. They would never be caught dead eating with the kinds of people that Jesus ate with. And we see the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. I think some of us have forgotten this morning just how awful a sinner that we are and how great a savior that Jesus is. Some of us can find ourselves in the Pharisees' shoes and too often we look at other people that are sometimes worse off than us or maybe they have a greater sin than we commit or maybe they have a struggle that we do not struggle with and we view ourselves sometimes as better than these people, as better 
than these other sinners. And yet, nothing could be further from the truth. We are all sinners. We are all deserving of hell and punishment. And we see these Pharisees here. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And verse number 11 is my favorite part of this. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I say to you this morning, when Pharisees are complaining the loudest, Jesus is shining the brightest. We see this audacious complaint of the Pharisees, and I pray this morning that this would not be named of you. Do not be a Pharisee this morning, judging the people that Jesus is reaching. But number two, we see the value of one soul. Jesus uh, hears about these Pharisees and the complaints that they're voicing, and it could have been they just talk amongst themselves and out of earshot of Jesus, but as we know that Jesus knows all things. And Jesus responds and he illustrates just how much God loves and values lost people through three parables. First, what is the value of a sheep in the ancient Near East? Well, a sheep was um, pretty valuable. We tend to think of sheep nowadays as uh, just items on a menu. Um, if, you, if you go to uh, a restaurant and you order a leg of lamb or some ribs, uh, lamb ribs, you, you get that served to you and you eat it and you're like, man, that's a pretty good animal. Um, but if there were no sheep on the menu, we would just look for something else, right? Sheep do not really matter that much to us in 21st century United States of America. But back 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, a sheep was how somebody measured their wealth. Livestock was how you could tell somebody was really wealthy. We think of uh, the book of Job, and Job had many flocks, many herds, many animals. Sheep played a significant role. They were used for food, clothing, uh, bartering. They were used as gifts sometimes, methods of payment, and probably the most famous, sheep were used as a form of sacrifice. You would take your sheep to the temple and, or the tabernacle, depending on when you lived, and you would take your sheep, a spotless lamb, and sacrifice it at the altar. Sheep played a very important role, but ironically, the, 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 the job of keeping over the sheep, shepherding the sheep, was delegated to the youngest son in the family. We see uh, the, the job of sheep herding was not a very high occupation. It was a very lowly occupation. When a family would have multiple sons, uh, they would have the youngest son go and watch the sheep. And if another son was born to that family, uh, nearly all of the time, the next youngest son, as soon as he was old enough to watch the sheep, he would then take the job of watching the family's sheep. And the older son would go and learn a trade or do something else. And if you were the youngest son and there was no more children after you, you were stuck. You were the shepherd of the family. Perhaps this is why when Samuel goes to find the next king or the first king, I'm sorry, the next king of Israel, he goes to the house of Jesse and Jesse presents all of his sons to him there and in, uh, in a row, and, and Samuel goes and he looks, and he looks, it's not this one, it's not this one, it's not this one. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse said, yeah, yeah, I have another son, but he's, he's the youngest, he's the shepherd, he's out keeping the sheep. 
And Samuel says, bring him over here. And what do you know? The shepherd, the lowliest office in the society of, of ancient Israel is now elevated to the king. He is the king now. Sheep were important, but also the value of the coins um, was significant in this parable as well. We look at the second parable and you find a woman that is looking for a lost coin. There's a, a string of 10 coins and at some point she has lost one of them. What was the value of these coins specifically? Well, it could be any number of things. The best we can tell is this may have been family savings. Uh, this may have been a, uh, a wedding dowry. So this woman, she goes and she, she discovers one day that this piece of jewelry, often in society, the, the, a married woman would wear these 10 coins around her head out in public so that everybody would know that she was somebody's wife. She was a married woman. And so this would be the equivalent of something like, uh, ladies, if you've lost your wedding ring, um, if you, those of you that have done that before, you know how frustrated, how anxious you are to find that lost wedding ring. This would have been the same. Um, this could have been a 10 days worth of wages. Each of these coins would have been a, what's called a drachma. Each of them would have been about a day's wages. Could you imagine losing your paycheck before you were able to cash it? And your employer, you know, I, I don't know if a employer will issue another check for you, but as it stands right now, you have no money until you can find your lost paycheck. The, the value of the coins is uncontested. The value of a sheep is uncontested. But I, I want you to notice what picture God, uh, Jesus paints of who is the one looking for this sheep? Who is the one looking for the coin? And Jesus obviously takes the figure of the shepherd and the figure of the woman. And we know that the meaning of these two symbolic figures in the parable is God himself. God is the shepherd. God is the woman looking for the coin in that parable. Jesus takes the two most lowly statuses in society at the time, and he compares those to God himself. A shepherd and a woman. Those of you that were here on Wednesday know I, I mentioned briefly that women in this society were not looked upon very favorably. In fact, if you had a, a court, you would not even sometimes admit the testimony of a woman. A woman's testimony was not worth much in the ancient Near East. A woman was not educated. Women were not viewed as equal to men during this time. They were used as property. They were, they were, um, they were mono, uh, po polygamous relationships. Men would marry multiple women to expand their family, their household, their wealth. And Jesus takes what is commonly known to Israel at the time, and he takes the two most lowly occupations, and he paints a picture that God is a shepherd. God is this woman in the parable. And I, I want you also to notice that he continues there, and he says here in verse number, um, verse number six, <coughs> I'm sorry, verse number five, I'm sorry, verse number four. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost? This next phrase, until he finds it. He didn't stop looking for the sheep at the end of the day. He didn't stop looking for the sheep when he got tired. He didn't stop looking for the sheep when he got beyond the, out, the outskirts of his property. What does the Bible say? He he goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. How many of you are thankful this morning when you were lost, 
When you were needing somebody to rescue you, God didn't stop short of rescuing you. He didn't send somebody, and when that person gave up, he didn't send another person. He sent another person to witness to you, and he sent another person to evangelize. He sent the same person, perhaps, to tell you the story of the gospel over and over and over and over again. God does not stop searching for you until he finds you. And so the shepherd does not give up until he finds his sheep. Can I ask you this morning, are you like this shepherd? Does the heart of the shepherd mirror our hearts this morning? Do we go looking after the sheep until we find them? Or do we witness to somebody and if they don't accept Christ, we just think, oh, well, that's, that's it. I guess they're not getting saved. Do we look after this coin, these coins that are valued in this parable? Do we look for them until we find them? I want you to notice something interesting. You know, a sheep, a sheep can wander away, and you can walk and look and go into the wilderness and look for a sheep. But the interesting thing about the second parable is that the woman is looking for the coin in her own house. She's looking for somebody in her own house. What, what does the parable say? She goes and she lights a candle and she sweeps her house until she finds the lost coin. Is there something in your life, is there something in your house, your heart, that needs sweeping away in order for you to see what you actually need to see? There's somebody in your house that needs Jesus, but they can't see Jesus or they cannot be found because of something that is taking up this place in your heart. You need to do some sweeping today, friend. There's something in your heart this morning that is preventing you from seeing this lost soul that is so close to you. And were it not for you sweeping this away, you would never find it. I wonder if our priorities this morning are correct today, church. Do we get excited about certain things, but we don't get excited or we don't even make an effort to clean up our own lives, to see the souls that may be right under our nose, right in our backyard, right next door. Is there some sweeping today that you need to do? Uh, we, we look at the tenacity of this woman and the tenacity of the shepherd looking until they find it. I was reading a story this past week from, uh, from a website of a, of, a, of a husband and a wife, a husband who got saved at the age of 93 years old. I want to read it to you today. Stories of older Christians being baptized are serving as a reminder that it is never too late to take a step of obedience. One of those is... Bernice Oliver at Glasgow Baptist Church in Glasgow, Kentucky. Erdie Carter, senior pastor at Glasgow, said Bernice's wife, Evelyn, had been a faithful member and attender at the church all the way up until the COVID-19 pandemic. During the pandemic, the couple began watching the church's services on a local TV broadcast. Carter said the couple have been married for 67 years, and Evelyn has faithfully prayed for Bernice to receive Christ as his personal savior. Carter visited Bernice many times in their homes, in their home, and shared the gospel with him, but he had never seen a responsiveness from him. That all changed a few weeks ago. Carter said Evelyn told him that her husband had been begun faithfully watching the church's Sunday services with her. After a few weeks, members of the church visited their home to bring food as part of the church's community outreach program. While at the home, Bernice said he was ready to make a decision for Christ. 67 years. They've been married for 67 years, and not once did Evelyn fail to pray for her husband, Bernice. And finally, after 67 years, at the age of 93, 
Bernice gets saved. Could you imagine what had happened if he, she had stopped praying? If she had stopped caring? Could you imagine what would have happened if maybe perhaps COVID-19 had not happened and he had not watched the services of this church because they both had to stay in? It's easy to get our minds and our eyes off the right things. We, we are inconvenienced so often by the pandemic. Oh, we have to wear a mask. We have to stay six feet apart from each other. We have to live stream only. And for this couple, live streaming only was the very method God used to save this 93 precious old man. Are our priorities straight? Are our, is our tenacity there? Do we have the prayer life that we ought to have about the lost souls just all around us? And we see also that the shepherd leaves the 99 temporarily. Which one of you, having lost one sheep, leaves the 99 to go search for the one that they have lost? Does it mean that when the shepherd leaves the 99, he loves them any less? No, of course not. But it shows you just how much the shepherd loves all of the sheep, does it not? There's a, there, there's a story of a, a young woman um, who went to see a psychiatrist, and she had been having stress problems and uh, mental issues, and the psychiatrist tried to find out a little bit about her, and very quickly he found out that this woman had three children. The psychiatrist asked her, well, which one of your children do you love the most? And the woman answered very quickly, I love all of them the same. I love all three of my children equally. Mother's in the room. You, I think you know what I'm talking about. The psychiatrist responded and said, that, that can't be possible. You cannot possibly love all of your children the same. And the woman said, well, yes, that, that's correct. I, I love all of my children the exact same. I can't love any one of them more than the others. And the psychiatrist said, that's impossible. It's psychologically impossible for you to love more to love each of your children the exact same. It's not possible. And if you don't level with me, I'm going to terminate this session. And so the woman broke down. She started crying a little bit. And she said, okay, doctor, I, I, I confess, I don't love all of my children equally. In fact, when one of them is sick, I love that one a little bit more. And when one of them is lost, I love that child a little bit more. And when one of them is in pain, I love that one a little bit more. And when one of them is bad, and I don't mean just a little bit bad, I mean when one of them is really bad and misbehaving, I love that child just a little bit more. Do we have the same heart for lost souls this morning? Do we see somebody that's wayward? Or do we love our own sheep the same? When we see a lost soul, wandering out there, when we see a lost coin that needs finding, do we love that person a little bit more? Do we love that lost soul just a little bit more? The value of one soul is immeasurable. Lost people matter to God. And finally, I want you to say, see this morning the proper object of our joy. What brings you joy this morning? What brings you happiness? Is it your family? Is it your sports? Activities? Uh, job promotion? Money? Is it a bonus at work? Entertainment? Do your hobbies bring your joy? Your children, perhaps? 
You know, the NBA Finals are happening right now. Game four, I'm sorry, game five is tomorrow night. And uh, once again, the Golden State Warriors are in it. I am a Golden State Warriors fan. And uh, I'm not on the bandwagon. I am actually from that area, so I can say I am a Golden State Warriors fan. Um, I'm a Steph Curry fan. I like watching him shoot three-pointers. I like seeing um, what he does on the court. Uh, my sister is more of a Clay Thompson fan. But I think we can, I can speak for all sports fans when we, when we know our team is in the championship, when we know our team is, is going, it might have a chance at making it, that every time they win a game in a series, we have that little feeling of, oh, yes, uh, they're going to make it to the next one and the next one, right? And if they lose, we are likewise disappointed. I start getting concerned when somebody tells me that somebody gets saved and I don't feel anything. When was the last time you heard somebody got saved and you didn't feel anything? Do you have joy? Do you have sorrow when somebody says that they're not ready to accept Christ? Do you feel this happiness, this joy that God feels whenever somebody calls upon his son Jesus and accepts him as their savior? Do you feel anything? But do you feel anything when your team wins? You know, we get, we get so riled up and upset when the political winds don't blow our way. I know who I'm preaching to this morning. I know, I think, the political affiliation and the political leanings of probably most of this room, probably 90% of this room. And I can tell when some of you are upset and irritated and stressed out about what happens in Washington because it comes out all over Facebook. We have so much stress and so much prayer and so much uh, angst over these elections and things that are happening in politics. I ask you today, do you have the same angst? Do you have the same burden? Do you pray for souls the same amount that you pray for the next election? For your councilwoman? For your city leaders? Or is there an imbalance there? Do you feel one way or the other? I pray this morning that our concerns would be about souls this morning. And need I remind you today that Romans 13 tells us that the powers that be are ordained of God. Need I remind us this morning of how much of a blessing it is to not be in a country where worship of him is restricted. Places like China or Russia or uh, other places like Korea where we cannot freely meet. We cannot openly proclaim the name of Jesus. Need I remind us this morning of just how blessed we are in this country and yet Christianity is flourishing in countries where we don't have the same freedom. What is the object of your joy this morning? And I say this, we are so concerned, and I'm speaking to most of you this morning, we are so concerned about the woke folk, but it is time that we as a church get awakened to the need of lost people and the joy of found people. When another soul gets saved, Never mind the midterm election. When another soul gets saved, that's an election that Jesus has just won. Another one. There is celebrating in heaven over one sinner who repents. You want to know how you have the heart of God this morning? Do you want to know how your emotions mirror God's emotions this morning? You will be joyful about the things that God is joyful about. We tend to be the happiest about the things that we've been praying about. 
have you been praying for souls? Have you been praying for your family? Have you been praying for your neighbor? Whoever it is, who you work with, who you see on a day-to-day basis. In 2004, a tsunami struck Indonesia and killed over 230,000 people. 2004 was also the the year of the Hurricane Katrina. Most of us remember that. I I don't recall this tsunami, uh, but I I read about this this week. A a tsunami struck Indonesia and killed over 230,000 people. That's a quarter of a million people almost in Indonesia in 2004. Among those who were missing was Radhatul Jana, who was only four years old at the time. Her mother, horrified, saw the ocean come and sweep her four-year-old daughter away. She was missing for a month. And after a month, her family assumed that she was dead. But Radhadul had clung to a wooden board and was rescued by a fisherman on a nearby island. She was then raised by an elderly woman about 80 miles south of her hometown. Ten years later, in 2014, a relative just happened to recognize this girl and told her mother, and Radhadul was reunited with her family in 2014. Ten years had passed. Could you imagine, as a parent, you lose your four-year-old child. You see the ocean reach out and grab your child, and you never, as far as you know, never hear from them again until ten years later when, by chance, your daughter is spotted 80 miles away in a marketplace somewhere, and somebody tells you and says, look, we found your daughter. She's 14 years old now. She's doing great. You can be reunited with her today. I am not so naive to think that all of us in here are found. There are some of us in here that no doubt are lost. And perhaps what I preached this morning is, makes some sense to you. I think for most of us it does. Most of us are Christians. Most of us are saved. Most of us belong in the group that includes the 99 sheep. Most of us are included in those nine coins. But there are some of us this morning that maybe can identify with this lost sheep, this lost coin. Perhaps you you came today and you were invited by somebody or you just found us on the internet or um, somebody invited you or brought you here today with, with as a family member. I want you to listen today as Jesus invites you to be found. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, Jesus is looking for you right now. You are not here by accident. You are not here by a chance. You are not here sitting this morning listening to me talk about Luke chapter 15, and it's not an accident that you heard about these lost things. Today, if you're a lost person, I want to invite you today in, in just a few moments, we're going to have the piano play a song, and everybody's going to have their heads bowed and their eyes closed, and we have some people here. And if that's you today, if you do not know that Jesus is your Savior, if you do not know that Jesus has forgiven you of your sins, and you've never made that decision to follow him before, when the piano begins to play in just a few minutes, I'd like to invite you to come right down here to the front. We have several people that can meet with you. We have ladies and men um, for whoever might uh, want to ask and, and find out some more information about how you can have your sins forgiven, how you can be a found person. I pray that you make that decision today, and I pray that you would find peace and comfort in the gospel this morning.
for those of us that are part of the 99, part of the lost, uh, part of the nine coins, how is your heart today? Are we like a Pharisee? Are we complaining about these people that Jesus cares about? Are we hypocrites? Where is your joy today? Where is the object of your affection today? Is it self-focused or are you others focused? May Jesus find in this room today people that are focused about the work of the ministry rather than it being all about themselves. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll be, uh, we'll have a song and if you are here and you'd like to be saved, uh, we invite you to come.